Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. When I was taught sales, when I first joined, it was like, okay, you have to time close them. And when we were doing door to door, that's in cold calling, that's something that I was taught. So, hey, are you available next Tuesday at three to chat? What they found now in the data, and Gong actually analyzed email sent, and they found the most successful call to actions are interest-based call to actions. So instead of asking for time, a day to meet, you ask for their interest. Are you interested in learning more about this? Is this something you experienced today? How would this impact your team? And that's the most effective for a cold email. For active sales cycles, time closing actually works best. So to recap, it's observation, pain, solution, call to action. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Vin. I know this is a marketing podcast, but it's bringing out friends in sales is always a great thing to do and chat and see the what we can do to better off marketing and sales relationships. So welcome, Vin, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start off and ask you, how did you get into sales? Well, I think it's like a different from most people. I think most people say like, oh, you know, I stumbled into sales. Like you always hear the story of they tried a few different things and they just ended up in sales. I knew at a young age, I wanted to get into sales. I was pretty intentional about it. So growing up, my dad had a uh, small business. He had a bike shop. So his brothers were pretty entrepreneurial as well. So he said, you know, if you want to make money when you're older, you get into sales or you get into entrepreneurship. And so uh, the two often kind of overlay with each other as well. But I knew at a young age, I definitely wanted to get into sales. If you can get rewarded for grinding extra hard and outworking some other folks, you can get rewarded for that financially. That was something that's like super attractive to me. So throughout college, I did all the all the sales internships that you need to do to kind of like earn your stripes a little bit. I did like the door to door. Uh, I'd sold like Verizon files door to door for a summer. I did like cold calling for a real estate company, just like massive call lists. So I did all like the kind of cut your teeth in sales type of thing before I actually got into the tech space, which is more of a strategic sale, less about smiling and dialing, lower volume, and to your point earlier, working closely with marketing. And I love that you actually knew because I think you're probably like the first person that I've talked to that actually knew that they wanted to get into either sales or marketing. I think some people want to get into the profession, but I think most of the time when people want to get into something, they see their parents grinding a certain way. So yeah, for me, I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. I knew my mom was great at marketing, but I didn't know that was what it was called. I just knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship, but it ended up that she was great at marketing and that's what I took out, like started getting into. But what was her background? What, what did she do? She ran a travel business. So basically she would sell packages to travel agents and she was really good at like the branding, marketing side of things. B2B, but I didn't know that was what I would end up being good at, but I just knew that she was great at that. Right. And then, luckily enough, but both my brothers are in sales, so it's kind of funny, like we were the marketing and sales type family, so it's interesting path, but I don't think they intentionally got into sales like you did. But I want to get into this conversation. Um, so you've been at... Um, 
demand base for five years now. Congrats on the five-year anniversary. Um, Appreciate that. What have you done to build relationships with marketing that has accelerated your path in sales at Demandbase? I think I'm definitely spoiled working at Demandbase because we sell account-based marketing software and like the whole theme of account-based marketing is better aligning sales and marketing. So I definitely have a skewed view on this. When I started at Demandbase, we joined, I joined as uh, an SDR sales development rep, which a lot of folks know works really, really closely with marketing. And now it's even trending where, you know, I'm hearing a lot of conversations where the SDR team is actually even rolling up to marketing because they're pretty much gold on the same thing, at least to some capacity, right? They're booked on opportunities, they're gold on pipeline. So the DNA of a B2B SaaS company, sales and marketing, the line is blurred extremely thin. And so I got a lucky opportunity where I joined Demandbase out of college. You know, I was on the SDR team. Our marketing department sat directly behind the SDR team back when we were going into the office. And so we were collaborating extremely closely with marketing on various different projects throughout the year. And I think the thing that we'll start with is like first identifying those key target accounts. That's obviously step one. One thing I know I've seen in your journey is that I know you you grinded doing the door-to-door sales and the cold calling, but most of the ops you get now are through email, if I'm correct, right? Um, yeah. And I think email is a, a marketing skill that people, even marketers, aren't that good at. So how do you think about cold emailing versus warm emailing? Like, how do you think about that process when you're going into email? Email is my main channel where like I book 90% of my opportunities through cold email. Reason being, one, it works for me. Two, because I think it's an effective channel. They did a survey and I'm blanking on the uh, company that did this survey, but they found through all the different channels, 80% of decision makers were preferred to be contacted over email. Not to say the other channels don't work, but majority of decision makers prefer to be contacted over email. So knowing that, I want to make sure I'm spending and allocating my time my cold outbound to cold email. Um, and for me, that was originally doing things like personalized prospecting, which is still what I do today. But when I you know, initially joined Demandbase, I think we had just purchased outreach, I think recently, maybe a year ago or so. And marketing actually worked really closely with the SDR team to build out these cadences. And they were good foundation. However, it didn't really feel like I was doing anything. I was just hitting send and I was sending out these mass templates that marketing created. And it felt like anyone could have done this job. And it didn't make me feel good as a salesperson. So I started saying, hey, can I, let me just carve out 10% of my outbound and start doing more one-to-one. You know, start experimenting, finding blogs people were writing, leveraging that in my outreach. At first, it was a bit of just random personalization just to see what worked and what didn't work. And what I was finding was those emails that I was originally sending had much higher open and response rates. And so I basically just doubled down on that and to the point now where I actually don't send any templates or cadences for that matter, which is a whole nother conversation. All my outreach is all one-to-one and it's highly through personalized prospecting, which I'm happy to break down. But I've saw my actual email and open rates jump from right now, I'm currently averaging around a 20, 24% reply rate from cold email. I think it's also knowing your audience too. I think marketers do not like to be called. RMR speaking from a marketing perspective, they rather get a LinkedIn DM or an email. Like if you're 
calling, maybe call, like prospecting into a plumbing company, they might like to be called. So I think it's really uh, done to know your audience. But I want to go into the anatomy of like a great email too, because I think marketers who maybe have like a smaller team or a small sales team could learn a lot about grinding in the weeds of doing a great cold email. So what is your process of writing a cold personalized email to someone? Yeah, so I definitely have a structure that I'm, that I'm happy to share. I will say, I think when marketers think about an email from a salesperson writing an email, I think it's very different. I think marketers have this really great skill of like copywriting baked into the DNA, which is a valuable skill set to have. Whereas salespeople don't maybe have that copywriting skill set and they're more so just using the email to get a response. And, and let me explain that. And so I was just working with a VP of marketing who was sharing some of her templates that she had shared that's going to be used for the sales team. And you know, some of them started with like a question, like, do you feel like your inbox is cluttered? It's like, okay. Um, that kind of feels like copyright to me. And so the best cold emails that I've found have kind of four-part structure. Uh, the first part would be an observation. So you as a salesperson, you're supposed to be the expert and you are making an observation. So I'll give you an example. The first part would be something that you've noticed. So the email would start with, hey, Daniel, I notice you're hiring for an SDR manager. That's an observation you notice. That sentence is a personalized opener. You want to make sure that you are, the first sentence is highly personalized because that's the one that gets them to open the actual email. The second part of a cold email is the pain. So you see the observation, you move into the pain. Typically, SDRs that are getting hired, they struggle the first few months on getting onboarded. That's the pain that you know that your prospect experiences. The third part is a solution. So you insert your company's value prop. Hey, my company helps decrease our SDR ramp time by providing them with actionable insights. And then the last part, the fourth part is your CTA, your call to action. Now, when I was taught sales, when I first joined, it was like, okay, you have to time close them. And when we were doing door to door, that's in cold calling, that's something that I was taught. So, hey, are you available next Tuesday at three to chat? What they found now in the data and Gong actually analyzed emails sent and they found the most successful call to actions are interest-based call to actions. So instead of asking for time, a day to meet, you ask for their interest. Are you interested in learning more about this? Is this something you experienced today? How would this impact your team? And that's the most effective for a cold email. For active sales cycles, time closing actually works best. So to recap, observation, pain, solution, call to action. I also love the CTA part of it. I think obviously the personalized part, but I think a lot of people make the mistake like, hey, if you're interested, book a time with me here, or if you have five minutes, like for, I think the goal of an email is to get a reply. That's the goal of like, you have to get them to the next stage. And if you get them to the next stage, you're one. I mean, booking a meeting would be a great thing, but people know that even like off a of book a meeting of an email that's cold, probably they are less likely to show or it's like, oh, I'll try this. and maybe I'll show up to this meeting, but like, at least like if you can start a conversation dialogue, I think that's a, a great way to keep, keep the conversation moving for that. I mean, they say, right. The best answer you can get is yes. The second best answer you can get is no. And so if your email is highly personalized and relevant, not just saying, Hey, Daniel, I saw you uh, live in Austin. I love Austin. 
No, if it's highly personalized and relevant to the solution that you sell, then that's going to increase your response rates. And whether that is a yes or no, it allows you to either continue working with this person or just let them go and move on to the next one. You said earlier, um, when you first got in to your SDR role, marketing helped you with cadences. They were kind of robotic that you, and marketers, obviously, I know this, they want to write beautiful, well-crafted copy, not sales copy. Besides this, some direct response marketers that are great at this, but not, not most marketers aren't direct response. But I wanted to go into what can marketers do if, if cadence is not the right way to help sales? What are some ways that you would love marketing to help you as a salesperson? Well, I'll tell you how our marketing team helps us as sellers, because I think it's really effective the way in which they do it. And so I mentioned earlier, the first thing, if you are a B2B SaaS company that sells to maybe mid-market or enterprise companies, the first thing that's obvious is to adopt this kind of account-based approach. Reason being is because it allows marketing and sales to both identify which accounts they should be doing this type of work to that I'm going to explain. And so, you know, if you don't have any tech to help with that, you're basically just choosing, you know, the top, let's say 10, 30 accounts based on your ICP criteria. Are these the right accounts? Are they in the right industry? Are they the right size? Do they have the right technology? Are they have the right buyers? Would this be a good fit for us? You select your top you know, let's say 10 or 30 accounts. And now you can work really, really closely with marketing. Now, what marketing does for us is they'll join all of our team weekly team meetings. We have a section carved out for marketing. They'll highlight some of the key events and we can invite some of our key prospects to those events. So we'll basically host these like VIP events where we invite our decision makers from our target accounts to these specific events. They allow us to do things like gift giving to specific target accounts to, again, increase the chance of getting an opportunity or, or meeting with them. And then the other thing that they do that's that I particularly really love is they allow the salespeople the opportunity to select one account. I believe it's been one account per quarter so far, but we allow we basically choose one account for a one-to-one personalized campaign. And so if I choose my, you know, Acme company account, what the marketing team does at Demandbase is they will create a one-to-one landing page with a video of myself introducing the page. Hey, it's Vin, you guys remember me, we talked about X, Y, and Z. And I'm introducing this page and what the marketing team does is based on the feedback I give them, they put the right resources. If the company is focused on targeted advertising, well, they're gonna put all of our case studies front and center about targeted advertising. You know, one time we, we talked with someone and, and my prospect told me one of his biggest challenges is they have a leaky bucket of leads. That's the verbiage he used. And so our landing page said, you know, X amount of ways to prevent a leaky bucket. So we're literally taking their verbiage. They basically, the marketing team will like interview me basically for like 30 minutes, get all the information they need and create this custom landing page. And then they run targeted ad campaigns to get those folks to those specific landing pages. And that's something that works really, really well. And our prospects, given I sell to marketers, really, really, really appreciate. The way that you just described it is like helping sales do their job better, which I think that's the goal of marketing, whether it's providing personalized campaigns, top of funnel to get keep your prospects top of mind, whether it's middle of funnel things, having creating content, landing pages, stuff like that, whether it's providing them budget to be able to do things like invite people to events or 
provide people to give them a chance to give them a gift card for a launch. Like the goal of marketing is to make sales life easier and to make sales easier, especially in like an enterprise type org or like if you're trying to go after big accounts, it's supposed to be a team effort to get that account. It's not who's fighting for pipeline. It's we own these accounts. We have to get revenue in through the door. This is the best way to do it is be a partner with sales. I'm going to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit because you talk to a lot of marketers. What are some current pain points that you're hearing from marketers today that you hear over and over in the last like, couple months? I would say more recently, the biggest pain besides pipeline, I think like that, that would be an obvious answer, right? Everyone's short on pipeline. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've been hearing marketers talk about is the inability to go after the right accounts. What we basically help marketers do is, okay, let's, let's at first identify what accounts you should be going after. The challenge is, like I mentioned earlier, most folks right now are short on pipeline with the, with the current trends right now. So what they do to help solve for that is they might ramp up some of their ad spend or you know, they may run extra programs. And what they're doing is they're spending more and more and more on digital advertising. We see that within the data. And at the same time, we also see within the data, I think HubSpot was the one that reported that conversion rates are currently sitting at about 2 to 3%. So folks are spending more and more on digital advertising and seeing less conversions. So this leads marketers to say, hey, we don't really know where ad spend is going. We need help kind of shifting our budgets to specific accounts that are actually have the highest probability to convert. And so what we're helping them with is basically identifying which accounts to go after, allocating their budget, in some cases, maybe even decreasing some of their budget, in some cases increasing, uh, but basically working with them to get the right budget in mind, to target the right specific accounts, eliminate wasted ad spend on accounts that are not going to convert, accounts that are outside of your ICP, and really make sure we're kind of and this sounds cliche, but doing more with less, right? A lot of folks have uh, lean marketing teams now. There's there's layoffs, unfortunately, happening. And so how can we do essentially more with less? How can we target the right accounts with potentially maybe less spend or maybe even less efforts? That's a great point. And I also think what you just said with, let's say, customizing landing pages or stuff like that, where that might take more time up front, but at least like the spend is not... There's more just time is what's put into the marketing campaign instead of spend, which in turns helps that conversion rate down funnel. I think a lot of marketers for the last like 10 years have been really great at driving MQLs or leads because we had a limited budget. We had, well, a lot of SaaS companies had a limited budget. They didn't have to worry about efficiency. They didn't have to worry if they were efficient enough, they got away with it. But now it's playing both games. It's, I have to get quality through the door. How am I going to get quality through the door? And then how am I going to convert it, convert through the door? And one way is to partner with sales. Another way is to do what you're saying, ABM. Another way to do it is figure out where you're failing in the funnel and do targeted th campaigns to those different section conversion rates that you want to improve. So I think that, that's a great point that everybody is str struggling with pipeline and now. Most marketers I talk to are as well. I think doing something like ABM, which 
now or whatever else you want to do. I think ABM is very great for big companies. But I want to flip it also. Like, what? How do you describe ABM to people? I think maybe some marketers on this podcast don't know what ABM is. I know we talked a little bit about what ABM is, but how do you describe ABM to you? Everyone has their own definitions of ABM. I think really at the down to the root of it, ABM is basically just going after the accounts that are going to convert to business from both the marketing and sales perspective. And so what that means is, and you know, like we said earlier, instead of doing these like spray and pray efforts, we are focusing on specific accounts that statistically will have the highest probability to convert as well as become and retain as current customers. Like one of the things that we always notice whenever we're, you know, I'm on the new biz side. So whenever I work with like a new client or a potential client, you know, one of the things we do is we look at their site traffic and we see they're investing tons and tons of dollars into places like Google, for example. And we actually check their account traffic on the site. And what we found is it's driving tons of accounts to the site, which is great. But when we look at the quality of those accounts, we kind of put a filter on and say, hey, which of these accounts are in your ICP? And what we're finding sometimes is like less than 10% of those accounts that are coming to the site are from the ICP, which is bad. Right. And so how can we actually increase that? So majority of the accounts that are coming to the site, engaging and downloading content are from our ICP or ad spend is going towards our ICP. So yeah, a- ABM is really just going strategically after a certain set of accounts that I think have the highest probability to convert from marketing and sales. That was a great definition. I think going to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's starting with identifying who those accounts are, actually taking the time to put down less and also taking time to identify what your ideal customer profile is. I think a lot of people do these spray and pray efforts, but they don't take the time to say, okay, how do a customer is X, Y, and Z. And the best thing to do is partner with your sales counterpart and say, hey, what are like the these are the accounts that are most like successful on our product? What are the accounts that are most like, successful to close? What accounts are you seeing? that are closing right now? What are the qualities of those accounts? So then marketing could do better at targeting the right people. Because like you said, if 10% of their traffic is non-ICP, they either have a targeting problem, a messaging problem, or a criteria problem that they they just don't know who their customer is. Yeah, and you also have to be careful that too. I think like a lot of the folks that I talk to, majority of folks that I talk to that are starting to do ABM, you know, nine times out of 10, they get a target account list from sellers. It is good to get that field knowledge. Unfortunately, and I can say this because I'm a salesperson. Unfortunately, salespeople, we tend to chase the really big logos. In reality, that might not be the best fit for the business. Or we might chase a company that we used to work for just because, oh, I know I got an in there. That's a good account. But in reality, that might not be the best fit. So you definitely want sales to your point of opinion because they're the ones that are in the field. In terms of like data points, they're going to give you information that you're not going to be able to pull from any data point because they're the ones having the conversations. But just be cautious of relying solely on sellers to give you that information because they are going to be a bit biased. Um, we kind of call that internally. We call it like hunch-based selling where salespeople just, you know, they, they have a hunch that it's a good account. Uh, it's a nice logo. I want to do business with them. And so what we recommend doing is a practice called FIRE, which I believe actually was coined from uh, the team at Triblio. And so basically what you do is, you know, F and FIRE stands for FIT or maybe like firmographics. That's going to be size, industry, technographic data, 
The I in fire stands for uh, intent. So has this account ever showed interest to buy before in the past? That can come in a few different ways. It doesn't have to be just intent data. Um, the R in fire stands for relationship. So have we had a relationship with this account before? Have we had conversations with them before? Have we sold to them before? Did they evaluate us before? And then the E would stand for, in fire would stand for engagement. So have they engaged with our content before? Have they, have they spent some time on our site? Have they attended some of our events? Uh, and you basically take those data points to start to then tier your accounts further and definitely work with sales to get more information on those accounts, definitely get their blessing on the target account list prior. But like I said, definitely be cautious of just solely relying on salespeople because they might not have the best uh, interests in mind. The best point you also made there is a lot of people are chase those shiny logos when shiny logos doesn't mean just because you got Google, you're chasing Google and might not be the person or what you said, they might not be in the market to buy right now, or they might have a four-year contract with another provider and you're not going to be able to get them for four years. So there's a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing by chasing the shiny logos. A lot of the times it's companies you've never heard of that you're going after. Mm -hmm. But I, I agree. I think it's a balance between marketing, talking to customers, marketing, talking to product, marketing, talking to sales, working as a, a go-to-market unit, working as a, a company unit, working with the CEO to actually find this. I think my point is don't be siloed as a marketing team and say, here, this is the, the accounts we should go after. Sales, go after them. Because I see that a lot. It's like, hey, we're giving you great leads. Why aren't you, why aren't you closing them? I, I've seen it multiple times. I bet you've seen it before. Well, maybe not because demand base is great at marketing. So, But most salespeople, a lot of salespeople experience that. What are some other ways that you build relationships with marketing? Not necessarily like through campaign building and stuff like that, but what are some recommendations do you think that how marketers should approach sellers to build that relationship with you? It's simpler than you think, right? It's like we have a lady named Sandra who who is like the marketer that supports my team. So basically, again, at the Mayabase, we have the luxury of, of kind of having this mindset, but we do have a marketer that supports each team. And so it's really just about being involved. She joins our team meetings. Most of the time we carve out some time for her, but sometimes there's no updates on her end and she still just joins the meetings. And it's really just about just being there, being present. A lot of the times in the team meetings, we do deal reviews where we talk about, hey, I have an open opportunity. I'm, you know, I'm kind of stuck on this. What do you guys think about that? And if our marketing team has any insights or thoughts about how they can increase the velocity to close from the marketing perspective, like they're going to chime in. And so it's just really about bringing them and in involving them as part of the process is like ultimate step one. And so if folks want to get started with like increasing the alignment between marketing and sales, it's yes, first getting that solidification down of the target account list. But once you have that target account list, like be involved with the sales team, like go to their team meetings, whether it's once a week. Our team even does uh, weekly standups. The frequency of those meetings, I'm not sure they change quite a bit, but they have standups where Sandra and our team will host the, the standup. She will invite my SDR and myself. And basically we'll do one or two things, go through my top accounts, the ones that I have tried everything 
and have never booked a meeting with. And she'll give us some insights or some recommendations on what we can do, whether it's sending them a direct mail or inviting them to some event, getting multi-threaded, um, and then also you know discussing my current pipeline. So those are two simple things that I think marketing can do to automatically start to increase the trust with sellers. I love that. I think when, when, I, when I was working at Snag Nation, um, one thing we used to do is as marketing ops, we used to have like a weekly stand up with sales. This is granted that we were a smaller company, but we would go over like, here's how many leads we drove for you. Here's the pipeline, marketing pipeline. But we also would go over seller awards. Like here is the top seller of the week and marketing would reward them. We would also say here are the upcoming campaigns, like we're doing a targeted account push to this these few accounts we're doing an event we're like we had everything that we were launching so we can also get sales on our side and say like hey we're doing cool shit for you on the other side we also were rewarding sales we're closing marketing accounts we're rewarding sales for doing great things like oh who had the highest close rate this week like who had the highest like pipeline this week oh who had the highest like book meeting sits this week we would reward sales every week with like a gift card so it made like this like relationship with marketing a fun thing not like a boring thing that was definitely prominent when i was on the sdr team we they, they definitely did things like that with the sdr teams they did like if we had to like we would help them push registra- registrations for some events they were hosting as an sdr org and like you know they would give out awards or you know those cash awards or or whatever it is for like folks with the most activity, folks with the most registrations um, and that type of thing. And, and I enjoyed it. It was a good breakup of my day because I was just prospecting daily. So that little power hour we did, sometimes they would sponsor it and uh, provide us with like breakfast. So it was a cool little breakup for the day. Yeah. I also think for marketers listening, I think one thing you could do is make sure when you're planning your marketing budget, like carve out like a spef budget or a sales budget that you can use to help sales. Like whether it's like, this week we want to like do a competition with Mart with sales and give them let's say a thousand buck gift card to something or it doesn't have to be that grand but I'm just making it up or hey we want to do if you have that carved out then nobody's going to question that just make sure it connects to some marketing or sales goal when you're doing this best but make sure you get get that done early because it's harder to ask for money later than up front. So just a a heads up. I want to ask a question that asks everybody on this podcast, but I'll ask it in a frame it for sales. What is a sales hill you would die on? This is a uh, sales hill that I personally would die on. I don't think it's good for a bunch of other people, but for me, this is something I am like, I believe in extremely. I don't use cadences or templates in any of my outreach. Now, would I recommend that for other people? No, because I think some people do need some structure of cadences and templates to to base their outreach off of. For me personally, that it the cadences and stuff don't work for me. So for me, I, I do all one-to-one outreach. And that is a hill that like I will die on in terms of if someone tried to like convince me to change that process, it would be really, really hard to do so because of I, I did use cadences in the past and what I was finding was I was doing my own outreach and it was all one-to-one and my 
tasks were just piling up because I never used the cadences and it created more stress for me than anything and made me a little bit more unorganized. Said screw it, just went cold, removed all the cadences. And I just do one-to-one outreach for all my accounts, which is definitely an unpopular opinion. What people don't realize is that you can put like a person in a box. There's sellers that are great, like you said, at structure and need cadences to do their job, but there are sellers who maybe thrive in your environment of like one-to-one cadences. And you should have different options for sellers to sell because like you said, make it easier for the sellers to sell so they have more time to sell instead of having them stressed about, did I send a random email to a random prospect because I pushed a button? Um, that is not, doesn't work for some sellers. That's what I've always, I always pitched when I was in marketing ops is every seller is different. So you have to approach the conversation. Even when sales managers talk to them, everybody's motivated by different things. Like you might be motivated by money. Somebody might be motivated by being number one. Someone might be motivated by rewards. Somebody might be motivated by compliments. Like you should know what your sellers are great at and customize the package. I mean, there should be some structure to the process, like teach them some things, but it, it worked for some seller and they're getting results. Let them do their own thing and keep them lay off their back. They don't have to hit their 1,000 cold calls to hit their goal if, if their emails work. That's what I love about sales. It's the one, it's just the one profession where like you could have the whole, let's just say in a perfect world, the entire team hits their quota. But if you look at the activity and how each person hits their quota, it's completely different. Like no one salesperson is the same, which I, I find very attractive in, in the profession of sales. One of the best things I was taught when I was doing door-to-door sales in college is that sales is a copy and paste business. And so what he meant by that was in sales, you may hear something that another seller says or does in their sales approach, and you might really like that. So you might steal that approach. But when you say it, it might not come off the way, same way you heard it. So you might put your own spin on it. So you're copying their their style. There's something that they said. You're pasting it in your own process. And so the best sellers are taking one thing they like from this person, one thing they like from that person, one thing they like from this person, removing the things that they don't like that are not part of their own personal style, and then using all those combination of things they learned and adding their own flair to it. And that's what I think is the one of the best things about sales. And I think the key you just made is like, if you're going to do that, is add your own flair. Otherwise, it's not going to come off the way you think. I know that some people who try to copy, even marketing, you try to copy someone's marketing campaign and it doesn't come off authentic because you you weren't the one running that campaign. You just reverse engineered it. But if you understand why, it, why the why of how they're doing the thing they're doing, the reason why they're doing it in reverse engineer that and then add that to your process. It's so much easier to add your own spin to it. If you're doing saying exactly word for word, you're going to come off robotic, like those cadences you were talking about earlier. Lastly, I want to ask you where people can find you, where people can follow you, anything you want to drop right now. Yeah. I'm uh, pretty active on LinkedIn, Vin Matano. I talk a lot about sales, marketing, ABM right now. On LinkedIn, I am publicly chasing President's Club. So every week I post my stats, how many emails I sent, how many replies I got, 
how many ops I created, how many deals I lost, how many deals I closed. We're sharing like everything week by week. And I'm trying to bring people along this journey to show people what it takes to actually make President's Club. So that's pretty exciting. And then also Vimitano everywhere else, TikTok, YouTube, etc. Sweet. Everybody go follow him. He's great at what he does. He also gives great sales advice if you're in the sales role. Um, go follow him. Thank you for joining. This has been awesome. Yeah, been a long time coming. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.